You are listening to episode number 155 of the Pioneering Today podcast. And I want you to raise your hand. Now, if you're driving, keep one hand on the steering wheel. But raise your hand if you struggle to consistently get homemade, wholesome, from scratch cooking food on the table at mealtime for you and your family day in, day out, every week. Is your hand raised? Because mine is raised. I recently sent out a survey. So if you are on my email list and you get my weekly emails with all of our recipes, tutorials, resources, all that fun stuff, then you recently got an email and I asked you to take a survey because I want to make sure that I am providing you with the things that you need. So that includes these podcast episodes and of course the blog posts all of that stuff so that I'm giving you the resources to help you in the areas that you really need it. And what I found interesting and kind of a little relieved at the same time is the area that we actually are struggling with the very most is time. Not having enough time to do the things that we want to do that we know are going to make us healthier and happier and are really going to serve ourselves and our family long term. Now, I've gotten pretty good over the past years at making sure that we are getting our meals on the table, on time, mostly on time, that are wholesome and have the ingredients and the foods that I know we're going to be nourishing our bodies. And we don't eat perfectly 100% of the time. I don't think anybody does, if we're being completely honest. And I look at things for more of the majority. Every now and then stuff sneaks in or we will happen to get a pizza if we're down below on the way home. But it's the things that we do on a consistent basis that have the most effect on our overall and our long-term health. And that's what I want us to focus on. So if you are a new listener, welcome for all my returning listeners. So glad to have you back with me today. And you are listening to the Pioneering Today podcast with me, Melissa K. Norris, your host. And this is where we share our best tips on using old-fashioned wisdom and skill sets in a modern world to create a self-sufficient and homegrown home and kitchen with or without the full-on homestead. On today's episode, we are talking about freezer batch cooking. Now, hold up. Don't you leave me yet. Even if you don't use a freezer a lot, there are still some super good tips that you can apply to any type of cooking that you're doing in your home. So some of you are like, I've been wanting to try freezer batch cooking. I've heard about it. And some of you be like, I've never heard about it. Like, what is this? Well, we'll go into that as we get into the episode, I promise. But even some of you are going to be so jumping in like, dude, I've been wanting to do this forever. Let's get to it. But others of you are going to be like, Melissa, I try not to rely on my freezer. That's why I can or I'm interested in learning how to can, dehydrating and all those forms of food preservation that keep my food shelf stable because I don't want to be reliant on that deep freezer, especially with a power outage. And I get that. That is me. But there are some instances, and we do have a deep freezer, but the tips that we share today really can apply 
to using your dehydrated food, using your home canned food. It's using the food that you've got and being the most efficient that you can with your time so that you can use the same amount of time but output a lot more meals. And we've got an awesome freebie with this episode. So make sure that you go to the blog post that accompanies this and get your freebie. So we're giving you a completely free meal plan that uses the strategies that we're about to share. So to get all of that, go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 155. Okay, you ready? Let's dive in. I am really excited for today's guest, not just because she's really fun and I've been enjoying getting to know her, but also because of the topic. So at the time of this recording, we are moving back to school. It's the first part of September, so rather your kids are going to regular public school or you're homeschooling, we're kind of moving out of those flowing days of summer and getting back on a schedule and sports are starting. And here on the homestead, we are still in major harvest mode. I have got so much coming on right now. So all of that to say, which really, is there any time of the year we're not? We're all super busy, but it's really important to us, I know to me and to also our guest, Trisha. And for those of you that are listening to this podcast, we want to be able to serve our families from scratch, nutritious. They got to taste good too. Let's be honest, right? My kids don't care how healthy something is. If it tastes bad, they don't want to eat it. And my husband and I really don't follow too far behind. I want it to be good for us, but I want it to taste good. But we don't have a ton of time. And so we are going to be talking about the subject of batch cooking but specifically doing some freezer batch cooking. So for some of you who are my longtime listeners, you're like, Melissa, I know you don't use a ton of freezer because you do a ton of canning. But the reason I wanted to bring Trish on and talk about that is there are items that just don't lend themselves for safety reasons or quality issues. They're not going to be things that we can can. And not everybody cans as much as I do. And there's definite things that I do use in the freezer. And I want to be able to use the food that we have a little bit better than I have been. I've gotten a little bit lax over summer. So I'm really excited about this. And I love the batch part. I'm good at meal planning, but I'm usually about three to four days out. And that's as far as it goes. So Trisha, tell us a little bit about the premise and the why and what once a month meals. What is that? Hi, Melissa. Absolutely. What's funny in my story is that I grew up as a kid whose parents gardened and canned and did all of that stuff. And I can tell you that on more than one occasion, I ranted to my mother that I was never in my life going to can. I was never going to cook like she did. And I was not a fan of picking things in the garden and helping her with the harvest and things like <laughs> that. And so I was like, never. And so here I am today running a freezer cooking website that helps families basically turn ingredients into meals that can go into their freezer to be used at a different time. One of the things that I feel like I am especially gifted at is just making things efficient. So I like to create efficiencies in the kitchen. So I like to cook, but life happens and I don't always have the opportunity to enjoy cooking. So we turn ingredients into these meals. And so we have basically tried to streamline batch cooking to do all of the components leading up to it that are hard to do 
for people that aren't as organized as I am, or maybe they are as organized as I am and they just don't have the time to make the grocery list and the step-by-step instructions and all of that. And so I started freezer cooking this way, batch cooking, because I had a busy family and I want to be able to spend time with them. I run a company, I have kids that are in school and they need help with their homework after school. And there's a lot of things that happen between four and 6 p.m. that make it really hard to enjoy cooking or to be able to cook in the kitchen. And so that's where I've come to rely on the freezer meals and wanted to share it with others. And that's the reason I created Once a Month Meals. Okay. I love it. And so for batch cooking, just if you're not familiar with the term, I'm sure most of you are, but if you're not, it's essentially where you are prepping and cooking a ton of ingredients for a whole bunch of meals all at once. And the premise of that is you're only dirtying up the kitchen once, right? So you're only doing your cleanup. You're not having to take the time and plan it out and do it in little increments every day. So you're doing it all at once. So what you have for both your website and that you guys put into practice is you do the majority of all of this batch cooking. Do you do it really all on one day for the entire month? No, I will say no. Okay. I, would, <laughs> I think that's the honest answer is that when we first started, 75% of the people that visited our site very much did it for a month at a time. However, we have shorter snippets of time available and it's more digestible to do it in batches or in smaller chunks. So we have meal plans that will give you 30 dinners for the entire month, but we also have meal plans that will be smaller. So they're like two weeks worth of meals or 10 meals or five recipes that you double to 10 so that you can do one this week and do one in a couple weeks and still have those meals on the ready. And it varies. Some people are really focused on lunches while others are focused on dinners, while some people need breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so for us, our household, it looks more like mini menus that are done for two weeks at a time. And that is more digestible for our family and our schedule. Okay, good. Because I have to say the thought of doing it all in one day for a whole month's worth. I'm like, whew, that could be a marathon day, which I'm used to marathons. I have getting marathons when everything's on. But I was just really curious, the practicality of it, I will get it out there. So like I mentioned, at the time of this recording, we're at the beginning of September. So a lot of us are starting to look at those fall things or the kind of the tail end of the garden. So do you have tips as we're bringing in fresh produce? So maybe you're going to a local farmer's market, it's coming out of your own garden or your own fruit trees, that type of thing. When you're bringing the produce into the home, Sometimes produce comes in and it's not going to have a two-week window, even in the fridge. So do you have any specific tips if you're looking at using that fresh produce and stuff you're bringing in in your meals that you like to use as far as the way that you freeze it, the way that you portion it, or do you always just do it to a specific menu and know I'm going to be using this and this later? So just do you kind of have any general guideline tips on that? Absolutely. I think one of the reasons I freezer cook is because then I don't lose the quality of that product. So whether I bought groceries this week or I found a deal at the farmer's market or it came in from the garden, I tend to find that if I were to, let's say I have 20 pounds of zucchini that just came in. And if I were to portion that up, freeze it, can it, whatever I'm going to do with it, I tend not to utilize it out of my freezer specifically because it's an ingredient. And an ingredient means that I still have to put a meal together. And so what I don't have time for is putting that meal together. So I like to find recipes that incorporate that particular ingredient 
into them and freeze those meals prepared. So if I just had 20 pounds of zucchini, I would go and find zucchini recipes, recipes that utilize zucchini both in entrees, breads, muffins, breakfast, and create a whole menu just around zucchini so that I have a set number of meals that are gonna utilize the bulk of the zucchini into meals that I know that my family would eat in the future. So you go at it with a plan. You're not just gonna shred up or dice so much zucchini and freeze it. It's all, when it goes in the freezer, you have a plan for that food with a specific meal or a recipe that you're gonna be cooking it with. So you kind of go in with that action plan right from the beginning. And I think that's what I love about the way that you're doing it, because I tend to do that. It's so funny that you mentioned zucchini, because I'm looking over my shoulder as we're recording, and I think I have 15 zucchini, no joke, sitting on the counter in a big old basket that I've got to do stuff with. And that's the thing is, I actually have, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but it's so true. So I pulled open the freezer, because this time of year is when the freezer gets really full, because all the harvest is coming on. And I pulled it out and was kind of going through, cleaning things out, trying to stay organized. And I've got three bags of shredded zucchini that I shredded and froze last year and I didn't use it. And I'm like, oh, so I love that you're saying find a recipe for it and put it in there. I will say, I know that there's some different soup recipes that I have and I know I'll just put a cup of zucchini in them. So I sometimes will do just a cup pre-portioned. Like I don't know exactly which soup I'm going to put this in with that, but I like that you have a very specific plan for that food for later so that you don't end up with, yeah, everything shoved at the back and dinner comes and you're still like, I don't know what I'm making. I've got all this stuff, but what do I want to put it together for? Yeah. And I think a balance of those two things, it doesn't have to be all meals or all in the freezer bags. If you know that you're going to incorporate some of them into soups or that's something you commonly do, then do some that way. I just know most of the people that I know that can freeze do run into this like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to use all this up or having a variety of ways that you can do that. And then planning one of the things that I'm doing as I'm planning those meals is looking to see, okay, how much zucchini is utilized in these recipes. And if I have multiple ingredients that have just come in, because chances are you have tomatoes too, like I'm looking to maybe incorporate multiple ingredients that I have an excess of into those meals, which makes that whole process a whole lot easier and more efficient too. Yeah, I completely agree. So when you're doing the freezer cooking, do you have specific containers that you feel do better in the freezer? Do you just use the Ziploc bags and just reuse those? Or do you kind of have a system or just whatever you've got on hand and it's going to fit the volume of food that you need? I do tend to use Ziploc freezer bags a lot for my non-instant pot meals. I don't know, this is a whole other conversation we could get into, but most of you might know that the popularity of the programmable pressure cookers has been on the rise. And so I tend to do a lot in my programmable pressure cooker. And if I'm going to freeze meals for my programmable pressure cooker, they can actually go into the device frozen, whereas things like slow cookers need to be thawed. So with the exception of the Instant Pot meals, all the other appliances I tend to freeze in freezer bags or foil containers or glass containers that are lined that can be reused. If you want to do more sustainable things, you can buy or get glass containers. And I search 
thrift stores for those. I watch when they go on Amazon Prime, things like that to have on hand. And then with the Instant Pot, you need to do an around container. And I tend to use a lot of reusable plastic containers that are BPA free. And there are at least some of the ones that I like to use. Amazon has a what it's called Ready Tainer. It's a 64 ounce food BPA free plastic container that we use a lot and recommend a lot. Dollar Tree also has some containers that we use also for round. They are plastic, they are BPA free, but depending on where you are in your preservation practices, we tend to try to use resealable. Let's see, the other thing that we also use is the food saver. I don't use that as much. And we try not to, at once a month meals, promote it too much because we want people to understand that they can just go to the grocery store and buy freezable bags or we want it to be accessible to them. And if you're doing a lot of freezer cooking and you have a food saver, by all means, utilize that. Yeah. For me, I try not to use a lot of plastic. So I don't cook with any plastic. I try not to use the microwave a ton, but I will be honest, we do use the microwave some. My kids know, I'm like, you better not put anything plastic in that microwave. Like I've caught them and they get, yeah, I'm like, no. And most of our, like, even for my husband's lunches and packing and stuff, we've really moved away from plastic. But I will say that I do use some plastic in the freezer because it's not touching any heat. So I do use some Ziploc bags and I do much to, my family just loves to teach me because I'm really the kind of organic, crunchy person in our family, in our household. <laughs> and so I wash out my Ziploc bags and let them dry and then I reuse them again. But mason jars actually work really well in the freezer as long as it's not a ton like if you want to freeze broth you got to make sure that you still have a lot of space at the top your head space even though we're not canning with it because it will expand if it's solid liquid we just picked a whole bunch of blackberries and i didn't have time to can them or do anything and so i just took the quart jars and threw four cups of blackberries in that mason jar threw a lid on and threw it in the freezer and that works really good too so For those of you who don't want to do plastic, and like I said, everybody's kind of at a different level, just like Trisha said. Some of you are comfortable using it, some of you aren't. But if you've got your mason jars on hand, those do actually work really well. And they are fairly round, depending on what it is you're going to put in. But I'm with you. I love the Instapot. Oh my goodness. That's like my favorite thing, modern homesteading tool-wise, because it's definitely a modern tool. I love that thing because I can take a whole chicken that's still frozen and throw it in there and it's done in less than an hour. Like to me, that's just amazing. So I'm really excited to hear that you guys do use a lot of the freezer cooking with the Instapot. Yeah, we say this all the time. One of the biggest Achilles heels of freezer cooking is remembering to defrost a meal. So you have this meal that you've made and you're planning on using it on Monday evening, but you forgot to defrost it. And it can take a couple days and it's not wise to put a frozen meal into the slow cooker. We know you all do it, but it's (laughs) there's like foodborne illness. It stays in the danger zone too long. So we can't recommend it, but that all changes with the instant pot with being able to throw it in frozen. And so at four or five o'clock, I can decide what it is I'm hungry for. I can pull it out of my freezer and I can be eating dinner by six easy and not have had to mess with dinner either. And that's one of the things I love, why I love incorporating ingredients into meals rather than just as individual ingredients. Yeah. Okay. So, cause I really have done this. Like I said, I have a lot of ingredients in the freezer as I shared. I have a lot on the, the shelves too, just with canning and dehydrating. But 
I kind of have a list of go-to meals that I can make in a pinch, but if I haven't really planned ahead, and that's kind of my problem, I'll plan like two days and then those two days are gone or we hit a really busy time and I'm like, oh man, what are we throwing together for dinner? So if you're moving into doing freezer cooking and doing it with a batch and putting your food in the freezer with specific recipes in mind, so if you've never done this before, it can kind of, to me, I'm kind of like, oh boy, that sounds like a lot of work. So do you have any tips for somebody who's just starting out with this on best practices or best ways to get started with it? Well, first of all, if you are a canner and you have done that for any length of time, you have enough patience to do freezer cooking and batch cooking. (laughs) That's just a state, like that's just a known fact because you do not need, in my opinion, that much patience and time as you do with canning and preserving. So that's the first thing. As far as number of meals, I always double a meal. So if I'm going to make, I think lasagna is just the thing that people think of when freezer cooking. So I try not to think of that, like try not to use that as an example. But if I'm going to make an entree, I'm going to double, triple, quadruple it. Here at Once Month Meals, we just like, our practice is just to double it. So if I pick a recipe, whether it's on our site or elsewhere, I'm going to assume a doubling. And so we think that five to 10 recipes is what you should start with. And you should start with ones that aren't labor intensive on the freezing day. So we call those dump and go recipes. They're ones where you're basically throwing the ingredients together for it to cook on your serving day. And so we suggest five to 10 of those that double to 10 to 20 meals. And we also try to coach people, or I try to coach people, like this podcast of just starting simple, staying away from the stovetop recipes, putting just throwing together. So those probably look like throw them together and then either cook them in the slow cooker, bake them or instant pot and just keep it simple. Maybe start with something your family likes. If you're not sure if they're going to like a recipe before you freeze it, we suggest you could do like a make one, freeze one. So you take this recipe and you double the ingredients and you make one for that night and then you freeze one for later. And then if you don't like it, you only have one more. And if you have meals that you've made and you've frozen and your family has them and they're like, oh no, we have another one of this and we didn't really like it. Just because you didn't like it doesn't mean another family is not going to like it. Everybody has different tastes. So share that meal. Take it to somebody who maybe is having a hard time or save it for when somebody's having a baby or something like that. But starting small, starting manageable with a menu or a selection of recipes that will maybe take you a couple hours to put together versus several hours. And then you can figure out what is your rhythm? What is your kitchen space like when it's come to freezer cooking? Is it organized well or would you do something differently? And really ease into the freezer cooking. Do not do 15 recipes at one time that you're doubling and do a whole month's worth your first go. Okay. I love that. Now, have you ran into any foods when you're freezing that just don't really lend themselves well to be like, you know, they don't thaw well, or they don't end up once frozen and then incorporating into a recipe really well. Have you guys really ran into that or not a whole lot? Yeah, we have a whole series of things that do or don't freeze well. I will tell you, we try to break the mold. So some people will say, don't freeze dairy. Well, you can freeze dairy. Oh, Um, amen, sister. (laughs) You have to, 
heat it up slowly. Like you have to whatever. I think that the water-based vegetables are harder. They're not going to come out as crunchy as they do as harvest. So mushrooms and green pepper and those type of things. If you really like the crunchy vegetables, you may want to wait to incorporate those vegetables on your serving day versus doing it to freeze. But if you're canning and preserving and you're freezing, you know that already. I'm assuming like this isn't your first rodeo. (laughs) So you know that some of those change space. But we try to stay away from some of those or incorporate them well into the sauces or cook them beforehand. I think the big thing to think about when you're freezer cooking is if lean cuisine and stovers can figure it out and keep it in the grocery section for a year plus, you can totally figure it out without all the preservatives and additives. And so if you need some inspiration for your freezer cooking or how to incorporate your meals, walk down the freezer aisle, look at what they're doing and find similar recipes and use sites that have adapted those recipes for freezer cooking as your resource. There's tons of them out there. Of course, we have a lot of once a month meals, but there's tons of sites and bloggers who have, have figured this out for you to do. And I love that tip because like I said, I do can a lot, which is really funny because I think when I look at canning, I know that I've got certain months of the year that I'm going to be canning a ton when the harvest is on. But in my mind, I seriously think of canning as the ultimate batch cooking because I'm like, I'm canning up like 400 jars of food in two months and then I'm done for the year. I mean, I'll sometimes can other things throughout the year, but the majority of it. So to me, I'm like, okay, I got two months of this going on, but then I'm kind of set for the rest of the year. Of course, I'm still cooking, but you know what I mean? So when you said that, I'm like, oh, you're right. If I can figure out how to cram all of that in in two months, why am I putting in my head that it's going to be so difficult to plan out these and do some of this prep work just on a monthly or even a bi-weekly basis or when you're first starting for a whole week. And I think part of where I fail with it, I'll do really good for a couple of weeks. And then I tend to kind of just go back to my old habits and my old ways. I think that's pretty common. (laughs) We all have cycles of doing that. Okay, good. Then I don't feel quite so bad. So Trisha, I loved your tip about walking through the freezer aisle at the grocery store and looking at those because it's so true. And there's so many things that as much as I love canning, you are limited. I mean, you cannot, let's put it this way. If you're following safe and updated guidelines, which y'all know I've got numerous podcasts about and how I feel about that, I do it by the book. I don't risk my family's health just because I want to be a rebel and can something in an untested way. So I freeze my dairy. I don't can my dairy. And noodles, pasta, all those things we can't safely can. And it's funny that you use zucchini because zucchini is one you actually cannot pressure can by itself anymore, summer squash. They found that it gets too mushy and that mushy consistency, even in a pressure canner, doesn't allow the heat to get all the way through. So it's not recommended. You can do it like a relish pickled with zucchini, but it's not recommended to can it on itself anymore. So zucchini is one thing that I do put in the freezer. So there's actually quite a bit of foods that do need to go into the freezer unless you're deciding to to hydrate them or do some other forms of preservation, but canning isn't one of them. And so I'm kind of actually excited about this because I really need to put together some more variety and to use the freezer space. We have eggs coming on crazy right now and I want to do a whole bunch of egg noodles up and get those frozen. But I love that you're putting them together in recipes. And so you guys, Trisha has very, very graciously 
allowed us some of their menu plans. And so if you're listening to this, then you can go and download them for free. So you just need to go to today's, the blog post that goes with this episode. You can go to melissacanorris.com forward slash 155 because this is episode number 155. And you'll see a button there that says, get it for free. Click here. So just click on that and those will be delivered to you. But do you have any other tips for maximizing your time when you're doing the actual freezer prep day? And maybe we should talk about that. So with the plan and kind of the whole theory, so you've got one day where you're doing your prep stuff where it all goes into the freezer, and then you've got different steps that you take on the day you're actually going to prepare that recipe. So on the batch day, do you have any tips for people moving into that to kind of make that easier that you've just learned after doing this with so many of your members in your own kitchen? Yeah, I think one of the biggest tips is chances are you're going to need to go to the grocery store at some point for the other ingredients that are needed to be incorporated. And we suggest that you do that the night before or on a different day. If you're just doing a smaller menu, you might be able to do that all in one day and not feel too tired. So the smaller your menu, the more likely you could do that in one day. So getting your groceries and then doing the prep all at once. Let's say you're doing five recipes, you're going to double them. So the chances are several of them need chopped this while others need sliced that. And getting a list and having a list of all of the things that you need to prep, do that the night before or do that at an earlier time in the day. If you're going to put these meals together during nap time or you're going to do it after the kids go to bed or you're going to just do it on a Saturday morning, then do that earlier in the day or the night before and have all of those things ready and prepped in prep bowls. So be your own like sous chef. And so have all of those things ready and laid out. The other thing is to get all of the ingredients out that you need. So I put them on one table or one workspace. I might put like a card table up. Chances are if you're doing canning, you probably have some of these like efficiencies that you do. So apply those efficiencies that you would use to canning, like getting all your mason jars together, getting all your lids cleaned and all of that kind of stuff before you start to freezer cooking. So get all your ingredients out that you're going to use as part of the day. And then you have it on hand you have the materials you need, and you can efficiently work through each of those meals, putting them together, getting them ready for the freezer, into the freezer. And then I tend to be a, like, do the dishes at the end. Some people are a do the dishes and clean as they go. I like to get it all done and then do one big clean sweep, but totally up to you. But again, I think one of the biggest tips is just learn from the efficiencies that you've done with canning and apply them to freezer cooking would probably be my best advice for this audience. Okay. So I've got one, basically it's a clarified question. So when you're doing this, do you do it as you're prepping all of the food for each recipe or you're saying, no, I'm chopping all the onions up for everything at once. And then after everything is prepped, then I'll put it in its individual bags or containers and then slap something on top. This is for recipe, whatever you'll just know. So do you do it as the recipe or just all the ingredients and then assemble as so more like an assembly line? You want to do all the ingredients as assembly line. That's where okay. you're going to get the greatest. So I'm not like dicing an onion, dicing a pepper, dicing a tomato, making a soup, and then coming back, dicing an onion for a lasagna. So one of the efficiencies that you get is doing all of the prep for all of the recipes that you're going to do at one time. One of the things that we've done with once a month meals is incorporate that in what we do to figure that out for you so you don't have to do it. 
And so you can do that all on your own and you can do that with recipes or you can get involved with Smith Meals and we'll do it all for you and tell you what to do. And then all you have to do is follow the list and the steps that we tell you to help you get those efficiencies. Okay. Gotcha. I love that. There's so many different ways that people need to eat from food sensitivities and all of that. So do you guys have once a month meals, different menu plans for different dietary needs, or do you just kind of go through and you'll get a menu plan and be like, oh, can't do those ones and then just adapt it yourself? Or how do you guys work around that? Because there's a lot of different things out there now, dietary wise. Yeah, that's a great question. When we first started out years ago, it was just kind of an all American family meal plan. But today we have nine plus menu types. So that includes vegetarian, real food. I think most of your audience is going to gravitate towards that menu type because it's using all mostly organic. You're not going to find cream of soups or processed ingredients on that menu plan or any of those recipes. So we have menu plans that are already done so that you could just kind of grab and go and utilize them or you have 7,000 plus recipes in the database to use. And each of those recipes are tagged based on the criteria that that recipe meets. And so we do real food and keto and paleo and Whole30, vegetarian, vegan, nut-free, egg-free. I mean, we have all kinds of tags and categories. In fact, if you go to Once a Month Meals and you go to the recipes tab, you can actually sort by these categories to even start with. There are quite a bit of recipes that are available to the public and then another set of recipes that are only available through the membership and it will tell you how many more recipes in a particular category. So if you're really niching down to um, how many real food recipes are there that are nut free that are for my slow cooker, it'll tell you how many public recipes that you have access to and then how many recipes you would gain if you were to become a member. So you can go and see all of the ways that you can sort down through that site. Okay, that's really awesome. Yeah, definitely. I'm pretty sure if you're listening to this podcast, Pioneering Today, you probably just like me and you're on the real food or Whole30. And I do keto sometimes. So when I'm doing keto, I'm going to do it religiously because that's kind of the only way you can do keto. You're either in nutritional ketosis or you're not. But I'll do that, but I don't do it all the time. I've come to a point where I'm kind of cycling. So I love hearing that you've got all of those different things, that you've got resources based upon that. Because sometimes that's where I really start to struggle is I'll look for those recipes. And there's a lot available online. I mean, we really are in a blessed time to be able to have all of the resources we have at our fingertips, just typing stuff in. But Sometimes you get those recipes and you're like, oh man, but is it good? Is it really going to turn out? Because it can get expensive, wasting ingredients and that type of thing. And Trisha and I have talked before and I've gotten a peek at some of her menus because you guys know I wouldn't have somebody on here that I hadn't went through their stuff and really vetted it. But you guys do pretty good amount of testing of recipes before you ever send them out. So have you found quite a few that you're like, oh man, these just don't work or you've done it enough now. I'm sure that you know how to make a recipe work if it starts to fail or do most of them turn out pretty good? I'm glad you brought that up because I also wanted to mention, we are excited that within the last year, we've also hired a staff dietitian. And so she's the one that actually is trained to professional. She's licensed and she actually goes through our menus and makes sure that they're tagged appropriately and making sure that they meet the standards for each of the tags that we want. So we're 
categorizing that too. And we have some like allergen, low FODMAP, low histamine, those type of menu types too that are more specialized. And we're hoping to create more of a database of those type of recipes as well. But she also is available for you to chat with. I mean, she won't help you with your diet plan. You still need to seek your professional. But if you need somebody that can speak to whatever your restrictions are as you're building a menu, you can speak to her. And then as far as testing goes, we do testing for multiple different reasons. One is palatability, but also to make sure that we entered the recipe in the database correctly and that we didn't accidentally say that you needed three cups of chipotle peppers instead of three tablespoons (laughs) um, and things like that because it happens. And so we have a volunteer test base of people who volunteer to test our recipes that are everyday folk. They tell us what their dietary restrictions are and their serving size and things like that. And so each recipe that gets put in our database gets sent to at least two individuals. And then they rate it on how they have to cook it, freeze it, and then actually eat it before they submit their data. And there are recipes that we either revamp and then resend out to test cooks or decide aren't worthy of being on the site. And so... Yeah. I mean, we try to do that as much as possible because we want to make sure that is going to work. It is going to be something that our audience enjoys and it is going to, and we didn't put it in wrong because that can happen. Amen. There has been, yes, I've done that on mine. Even, yeah, writing a blog post and going back and being like, oh my goodness, I forgot you need to add water. It doesn't happen very often. Thank the good Lord. But there's been a few where I'm like, oh my goodness, I totally typoed that, went back. So Yeah. I love that they're testing it as you have it written in just to make sure that everything flows. That's really awesome. And the dietitian, that is very cool. Because I know what you mean. A lot of times you'll see something that says low carb, but low carb doesn't mean keto. And for someone who's just starting out, they might not really understand the macro and micronutrient breakdown on some of these specifics. So that's really cool. I actually did not know that you guys had a dietitian. So that's really awesome. Yeah, we love it. Her name's Kate. She's fantastic. And she's really good at just working with anybody with different variety of diet. She'll be the first to tell you that she personally isn't big on keto, but she doesn't let that stand in her way of helping to meet people where they are at and whatever diet plan they're trying to find to help them incorporate the once a month meals plan into their life. That's awesome. So do you have any last tips or bits of wisdom or anything like that that you want to share with us in regards to someone getting into doing the batch freezer cooking meals? I think my other biggest tip, I guess, is just to invite a friend into it. I know a lot of people will tell me they want to do it. And I think it's always better and fun to do with somebody else. Maybe you even you make five meals and double them and she makes five meals or he makes five meals and doubles them. And then you swap some of those so that you have more variety or you cook together, you do it. And if you think, Oh, I don't know if I have any friends that would do this, just put it on Facebook or some other social media. I promise have more than enough people volunteering to come do this with you because people are just They're like you, right? They think that there's nobody else out there that wants to do it too, but they're also starving for, well, dinner to be done (laughs) a reasonable amount of time and without losing their sanity. So, I mean, I think it's a fun way of maybe incorporate your kids if they're old enough in both the selection process and the making. I think that is fun too, but make it something that's fun rather than a chore. And I think that really helps with mealtime. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. And I really love the suggestion too. I feel like it's so funny because in this day and age, 
through social media, I mean, even this podcast, like we're in your ears right now. I mean, I listen to a ton of podcasts. I'm a podcast junkie and I feel like I really know that person. I mean, some of my favorite podcasts, I'm like, dude, we're besties. Like you don't know me, but we're best friends. And then of course, you know, there's Facebook and all the other social media sites, but there's something to be said for getting together in person and your relationships that way. And I feel like when I look back, like they used to have barn raising parties, you know, there were used to be huge harvest parties where literally every neighbor for that three days would go to that neighbor's house. All of the ladies would get together and cook these huge spreads. All of the kids were running around playing. The older ones were helping the men bring in the harvest. And then you'd go to the next person's house. And so I love that you shared that because I feel like as a society today that we've kind of fallen away from that. And I think it's really important and letting the kids have the selection. Oh my goodness. It's so much easier to get my kids to eat at mealtime if they've got to help pick it out. They don't always get a win. I mean, there's something they're like, no, (laughs) but I love those tips because I feel like they're really practical and just the outlook. Like you said, if you look at it as something fun and something that's going to feed your family and not as like a drudgery, like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to do this for like three hours. Outlook is so important. So thank you so much for coming on today, Trisha. I'm really excited to put this into practice and to get my hands on the sample menu that you are providing. And y'all get that too. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. It was my pleasure. I enjoy it. I love being able to talk and maybe you'll have to share some canning wisdom with me. Oh girl, you're on because I love to talk about that. (laughs) All righty guys. I hope you found that as valuable as I did. I got some tips that we're going to be implementing and putting in in our kitchen. And one of the biggest takeaways that I got from not just this podcast episode, though from this one too. And it really applies to all areas of our life and something we've really been focusing on within the Pioneering Today Academy and our members is going in with a plan. Y'all, it sounds so basic, so elementary, but having that plan in place makes you so much more efficient and allows us to get so much more done in the same amount of time. So today's episode is brought to you by the Pioneering Today Academy, which is our membership site where I walk you through step-by-step every month, all of the seasons with full-on video tutorials and lessons, but it's not open right now. What I mean by that is you can't enroll or join at this moment, but the end of this month, September, we are going to be opening for enrollment for just a one week period. So if you want to get the details on that when the doors open to know more about what's included, you can get on our notify list, which just means I will email you. And if you're on that list, you're going to get the email invite a few days before the general public. And you can get your, you'll just pop in your name and your email at melissknorris.com forward slash notify. But the reason I share that is because we do member only challenges and we started them this past spring. And part of that is laying out and helping you lay out a very specific plan that is tailored to your circumstances. And you guys, we have gotten some amazing results by doing that. So I really tell you, it's in the planning makes so much of a difference. And also our verse of the week is from 
Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. And this is the amplified version of the Bible, or I should say translation. Two are better than one because they have a good, more satisfying reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And I thought this was so fitting for a couple of reasons. One, what Trisha shared towards the end of the podcast about doing your meal prep and batching with a neighbor or with a friend, but with someone else. There is something about having a community and a partner that helps you stay to it. There's the accountability, there's the inspiration, and it's really just that support of that other person. We've noticed that in the Pioneering Today Academy, since we've been doing the member-only challenges since this past spring, and even myself being involved in those challenges and seeing everybody else's posts has really helped keep all of us inspired and focused and on track. And we have all done more this year with the same amount of time than we have done in years previous because of having that tight-knit community and accountability within the membership. It's really been amazing. So if that is something that you are interested in, I encourage you to get on the Notify list. But I also think that it's really important that we have people in our lives, in all areas of our life, not just with our homesteading or with our healthy eating, though that is important in our spiritual walk, You probably have guessed if you've listened to this podcast, even if this is your first one, that I'm a Christian. So having someone, it can be a prayer partner, Bible study, someone trusted that you can go to. And then my neighbor and I actually, for our fitness, our local fitness center closed down for the past six weeks. And so we committed to working out together Monday through Friday from four to five. And I got to tell you, if we, both of us, if we had not made that commitment with each other to meet and to still continue our workouts at home, yesterday is a prime example. I was really tired. It was rainy out. I felt exhausted and I was sore and I did not want to work out. And if I had not been meeting her and we already had it on the books, would not have done it. I would have skipped my workout. But I knew I was expected at four o'clock. So I put my workout gear on, went and met her. We did the workout. And by the time I was done, I wasn't as tired anymore. I had a renewed energy and I was really glad that I had done it. But I know if I did not have that person that I would have just totally skipped it. And I'm not being dogmatic. Sometimes you just have to skip things. That's fine. But I think that you get my point. So I really encourage you to find some people in your life, in all the different areas of your life, that you've got some community and some support and don't try to do it alone. It's so important that we have others there because there are times for every single one of us that you're going to feel discouraged because nothing is ever perfect. There's things that go wrong. You just have off days or you might have actual circumstances that make things difficult. But if you've got those people and that support to help lift you up when you're down, It is a wonderful and beautiful thing. Thank you so much for spending your time here with me today. And I would love to hear about your tips 
for getting food on the table and saving time while you're doing it. And I hope that you enjoy the menu and you go and grab that. Okay, guys, we will be talking soon. I'm really excited for next week's episode. It has all to do with one of my favorite homesteading tools, and that is cast iron. Talk soon.